Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. It is our third Sunday in Advent, also known as Elbow Room Sunday. Um, it's nice, right? Not having to play the Hunger Games to get a seat in here. Um, although it's nice today, I promise you, in a couple of weeks, you're going to miss all the college students. Looking forward to them being back. Uh, my name is Matt Prine. I'm one of the elders here at RCB. And as I said, this is week three of Advent. Um, two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan talked about the Hope Candle. And he talked about the hope candle in the context of Zechariah, um, and he mentioned the fact that that a Christian's hope is steady, not because of who we are or because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is. And that the hope that we get from that is a hope that is steady and that is lasting and that is enduring. And then last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the faith candle, um, and, and he used the story of Simeon. And he talked about the fact that faith is the realization of or the fulfillment of hope, as illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And he also quoted Manly Beasley when he was talking about hope, and he said that faith is, or when he was talking about faith, he said, faith is holding something in our hearts before we hold it in our hands. And so today, we're going to dive into the third week of Advent with the shepherd's candle, which is also called the joy candle. Um, And it's important, I think, to see how these themes connect of of hope, faith, and joy. Um, If uh, faith is a realization of hope, then joy is the expression or outpouring of faith. And to help us understand this in everyday terms, I'm going to talk about something maybe familiar to you, uh, but for me, it was when I met Cammie. I met her on September 5th of 2006, and she was sitting two chairs over from me at Breakaway. And after breakaway, we went with a group of friends and grabbed coffee, and I stayed up till the wee hours of the morning talking with all of these, these people, focusing my energy on Cammie. And I remember the next few days, I could not stop thinking about her, about how much I liked her. And I remember in those few days, I had this hope, and my hope was that she liked me too. Well, fast forward a few days, the, the next Saturday, I uh, got to hang out with her and the same group of friends as we celebrated a birthday, and uh, I, my, my hope that she liked me drove me to try and figure out, does she like me? And so I decided, hey, there's only one way to figure this out. I'll ask her out. <laughs> and so I, I approached her. And I asked her if she would go on a date with me, to which she responded, I'm sorry, who are you? Just kidding. That's not... She said yes. It was awesome. And this gave me a faith that she might actually like me. You see that? I hoped that she liked me. I now had a faith that maybe she does like me. Now, it would be uh, probably not good to jump straight to exuberance at that point. It'd be bad form, I think, because, you know, who knows, that first date could have been awful. 
But I tried as much as I can to suppress that joy, uh, mostly unsuccessfully. And then we went out on a date on September 23rd. It was a Saturday, and the date was amazing. And I asked her out for a second date at the end of that date, and she said yes. And at this point, I was filled with joy because I knew that she did indeed like me. So I hoped that she liked me. I then had faith that she probably did like me. I then had joy because I knew that she liked me. Does that make sense how hope, faith, and joy connect? So joy today is going to be the expression of the faith of the thing that we've hoped for. Joy is the expression of the faith of the thing that we have hoped for. Before we dive into our text today, I want to take a moment and I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to kind of prepare our hearts for what we're going to encounter in the scripture. So if you would, take a moment and at first I want you to pray for yourselves. And I want you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart, to draw you closer to himself, that he would help you to walk out of here looking more like Jesus than when you walked in. So go ahead and take a moment and do that. And now, if you would, would you pray for me and ask that the Lord would speak through me and that I would get out of the way so that you can see him clearly. And Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege and honor to get to gather uh, with a church family and to open your word and to sing songs of praise to you. And Father, this morning as we talk about joy, I pray that you would just fill us up with joy that is unshakable. And Father, we'd walk out of here with a solid perspective of what that means. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so talking about this idea of joy, there's something that we need to understand. If you're a human being, you have the capacity for joy, okay? Uh, Christmas time is a great example of this as we think about joy because uh, Christmas time is, is filled with joy. Everything around us is, is joyful. I've always loved Christmas, even since I was a little kid, like really loved Christmas, like Buddy the Elf level almost of love of Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas every year when it's coming around, and I love everything about it. When I was a kid, I loved the time off school. I, I loved getting together with family and having meals with, with people that I haven't seen in a long time. I love the presents. I still love the presents. I, I love Christmas lights, and I love Christmas carols, and I love Christmas movies like Die Hard, and I love food. Yep, some of you guys are like, nope, that's not a Christmas movie. We could divide this crowd in half. <laughs> You're like, I'm out. It's a Christmas movie. Um, and and the, the joy is all around us in this season. Right? It's, it's palpable. It's in the air. You can feel it. And it's awesome, I think. And, and, and joy, the reason that every person has the capacity for joy is because of the common grace of God. Common grace of God uh, is, is grace that people get regardless of whether or not they follow Jesus. 
Okay, so you can be a Christian, you get common grace of God. You can be a non-Christian, common grace of God. Joy is one of those common graces of God. And, and what is joy? Very simply, joy is the expression of, of gratitude or excitement when something good happens or we receive something that we've been wanting for some time. So think back to a moment in your life that may have brought you great joy. It could be when you were a kid and you got that Christmas gift that you'd been hoping for, right? It was the thing that exactly what you had asked for. Or maybe when you were a little bit older uh, and you uh, got your first car. Or when you graduated from high school or you graduated from college. Or getting your first big person job. Um, Buying your first home. Pastor Kevin mentioned it last week, but the Aggies beating Alabama, right? These are moments that bring us great joy. But the problem with every single one of these moments and a billion more is the fact that the joy is temporary. It doesn't last. The toy that you got for Christmas would wear out or break. The car that you were so proud of purchasing eventually got old and you traded it in for a newer model. The graduation simply meant that the rest of life was coming at you really, really quick. The real job you got, you realize that there are moments that you absolutely hated. The house had to be maintained and repairs are costly. And beating Alabama did not guarantee us a win against Old Miss and LSU. <laughs> right? See, the joy doesn't last, and it always leaves us wanting something more. But this is how common grace works, and we need to understand that. Common grace always works like this. It is meant to whet our appetites so that we have a desire for the real thing. You see, that common grace, that that joy, that's the appetizer for the real deal. See, God created opportunities for us to have uh, joys, to experience great joys in this life so that he could surpass those joys with a joy that is unceasing and unending. It's the experience of Christian joy. That's the whole purpose of common grace joy is so that we could get a, a foretaste of this joy that is unending and unceasing. In the passage that Olivia just read that we're about to dig into, the angel declared that he was bringing good news of, quote, great joy. The question is, is why do we have great joy? What is this thing that is going to produce this great joy? The angel said that there was going to be joy because there was going to be a Savior who was Christ the Lord born that day. Uh, stated kind of specifically from the Greek, uh, it would say the anointed one, Yahweh, which if you don't know what Yahweh is, that's the covenant name of God that he revealed to Moses back in Exodus. He's saying this, this is the Savior who's going to be born today. And, and, and this is a reason for great joy and great excitement. There's a couple of reasons I want to point out. First, uh, is this was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, where it said the Lord, the Lord told uh, Israel that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this is unlike anything that's ever happened before in history. And this is that moment where, man, God's doing something different. So the shepherds would have, would have heard this and they would have been filled with great joy because this is the fulfillment of, of what God's been talking about, this sending this Savior, sending this Messiah, God, with them in the flesh. And it displayed a pursuit of his people. 
that is reason for rejoicing. And the second reason for great joy is what Jesus was going to accomplish. Now, we need to understand that shepherds really didn't have a context for what Jesus was going to do. They, they, they could not have really even comprehended it, I don't think, if the angel had said, hey, okay, here's what's going to happen. He's going to be born, and he's ultimately going to die. That's what the great joy comes from for us, is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Savior, was born, and he was going to die an awful, brutal, ugly death. G- the, the angel was foreshadowing Jesus' death. And I understand that it is a little bit weird for us to connect this idea of great joy in our hearts with this brutal murder, but we have to understand what this brutal murder accomplished. It accomplished our salvation. It accomplished our rescue from sin. It accomplished our redemption and our adoption as daughters and sons of God. That is reason for great joy, and what Jesus accomplished at the cross cannot be undone. This is what sets great joy apart from worldly joy. This can't be undone. This can't be taken away. This can't be tarnished because it's finished. See, Christmas and celebration of Christmas is going to present us with a choice. We can either celebrate this temporary joy that's wrapped up in pretty paper and topped with a bow, or we can celebrate a joy that emanates from a sinless Savior pouring out his blood and his life being crucified in our place, dying, being buried and raised on the third day to bring us eternal life. We can celebrate one of those two things. But it's this great joy of Jesus dying and redeeming us that is going to speak to the deepest and darkest corners of our hearts. Those things that we're afraid of. It's this joy that is going to come from the greatest message that has ever been spoken in the history of the world. And it is this joy that is going to carry us through the storms that are going to come if they're not already here. Worldly joy can't carry you through that stuff. That's what I want to focus in on today. Our first point is this. Great joy speaks to our great fears. Great joy speaks to our great fears. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's stop there. First of all, this is a theme that you're going to see carry throughout the, the Bible. An encounter with, the, with divine uh, always kind of results in this fear response. And we saw this with Mary. When Gabriel approached Mary in Luke chapter 1, she was terrified. And the angel here says in the next verse, do not be afraid. Same thing that Gabriel told uh, Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Do not be afraid. And this idea of fear, and again, I, I get that they're afraid because they've got this divine presence, but I think it speaks to something deeper in the human condition. I think that it speaks to the fact that fear was one of the first things that entered creation after the fall. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord's walking through the garden. This is after Adam and Eve have already sinned. They've already eaten from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's walking through the garden, uh, and he's looking for Adam and Eve. And what are they doing? They're hiding. And so the Lord calls out to them, and Adam responds with this, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid myself. 
See, fear was one of the first things that came in after the fall. And humans carried it with them from then on. Ironically, the fear that drove Adam into hiding from God, God was the only one who could have addressed that fear, and he's hiding from him. So the shepherds were feared, uh, filled, filled with fear because of this divine appearance. But again, think about the fears that they might be walking around with on a day-in and day-out basis. They had many reasons for fear. First of all, shepherds were a despised class. They were looked down on. They were not clean, ceremonially clean. They, they could not adhere to the law because of the duties of caring for the, the sheep. And they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court because they were viewed as untrustworthy. Can you imagine a fear that you would be walking around with day in and day out if that's how you were viewed? Knowing that everyone looked at you as less than human. Knowing that in society's eyes, you've got no dignity. You've got no value. You've got no worth. You're not loved. What does this do to a person? You know, perhaps they would even alter their daily path of where they walked because they might encounter somebody that would treat them with this disrespect. Maybe they're closed off and never really known by others. See, fear, fear has the ability to control us. Fear has the ability to drive us, and every single one of us, whether you want to admit it or not, has this fear deep inside, and it's going to impact how you live. It's going to impact how you make decisions. It's going to impact how you structure your life in such a way to try and avoid some of these fears. And the problem is, is that when we do this, we're not living in the way that we were created to live. We live paralyzed by fear rather than in the freedom of the Lord. And like Adam and Eve, we're going to tend to hide. We're going to pull back from biblical community so that nobody sees what's going on in here. And we're going to pull back from the Lord because we know that we failed him. And we're terrified that we're going to be exposed for who we, quote, really are. And we fail to listen to who he says that we are. We're going to try and numb that fear with something that this world offers. And perhaps it may work for a moment. Perhaps it may bring you some joy to assuage those fears. But like we already talked about, it doesn't last. It's going to leave you wanting more. But that's not the truth with this great joy that this angel was talking about. See, great joy speaks to our great fears. What does it say to our great fears? I think it says a few things. First, I think it says to us what God said in Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Great joy also proclaims Romans 8.1 over us, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It tells us the words of Jesus in John 15. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide therefore in my love, or live in my love. It also tells us what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out fear. See, this is great joy. This is great joy that the gospel would do that, that the gospel would bring us there, out of our place of, of hiding in fear and into uh, relationship with him. 
great joy reminds us that the gospel is true and that the gospel has accomplished something in us, that Jesus Christ, when he died and when he was raised, uh, that we were sealed in him if we repent and believe. This is the great joy of Christmas. The second piece here is that great, great joy, and this is the second point, great joy comes from a great message. Great joy comes from a great message. Look at verse 10. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When, when the angel said this, when he says, I bring you good news of great joy, if we were to translate this literally from the Greek, it would read, I evangelize to you great joy. The, the Greek word uh, for, this, for this word good news, the words good news is evangelizo. Okay, it's where we get evangelized from. The angel brought them joy through preaching the good news to them, through evangelization. So, so why is this good news? Why is it good news that he's evangelizing? Romans 8, 3 to 4 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So right, bad news, we can't, good news, he can and did. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is good news. Jesus in your place and you in his. See, the gospel did what we could not do. The gospel freed us from doing by declaring it done. The gospel made a way where there was no way. Think about this for a moment from the shepherd's perspective. Just think about this. Your entire life, you've lived ostracized from society, cast out and cast aside. You've not been able to adhere to the law, not even a little bit. And perhaps you may even have given up because everything that you've done, people have told you it's not enough. You need to do more. You've got to work harder. And now, all of the weight of that burden is completely lifted because this angel is coming and saying, hey, there's good news. Where you can't do this, he, he, he will, he can. And it's no longer about what you can or cannot do because God is doing it for you. This is cause for great joy. Again, this had to transform everything that these shepherds were thinking. That God does love them, that God does care for them. And they found the source of, of great joy. I gotta confess, as, as we've been kind of in the midst of our Christmas preparations, I have probably spent more time thinking about the gifts and the presents that I'm giving my kids and my family uh, more than I've been thinking about how I can bring the gospel, bring the good news to them or anyone else around me for that matter. And, and again, I'm not saying that our Christmas celebrations are bad. They're not. I, I have a lot of fun doing it, and there's a lot of meaning behind it if, if you do it right. But I'm saying that we cannot miss the fact that Christmas time, the Lord wants to use us to bring good news to those around us through the sharing of a great gospel. Yeah. And if you want to bring joy to others this Christmas season, you must bring the gospel to them. The cool thing is that the joy, this great joy that somebody experiences coming, passing from death into life, 
It doesn't stop there with them. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to sit across the table from somebody and lead them into eternal life, but there's a joy that wells up in you when that happens. And and the cool thing is that it doesn't stop there. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it talks about the fact that the angels, uh, there is joy before the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. So you understand this joy is kind of like this domino effect. There's joy in the heart of the the one who repents. There's joy in the heart of the one who gets to lead them to repentance. And there's joy in heaven over that person repenting. This is great and incredible joy. And it comes through evangelization. The angel said that this is great joy for all the people. I want to take a real quick minute to talk about this, right? Um, a lot of people will say, oh, this is where uh, we talked about the, the gospel going to everybody, that this is for all people. Now, now the Greek word that they use here that, that uh, is, is written here in Luke is laos. Now, this word, when used in the New Testament, generally refers to the people of Israel. If, if the word was saying it was going to be all the nations, that we would probably see the word ethnos there. Uh, but we see laos. And so the angel is, is saying here that, that Jesus is going to be a savior for the people of Israel. Now, this does not mean that Jesus' birth uh, was not good news for those outside of, of Israel. I want to make sure that's very, very clear, but I don't want to take this out of context. Um, but what I am saying is that this is kind of consistent with what we see through the rest of Scripture. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We have to understand something, that coming to the Jews first doesn't make it any less of good news for the Gentile who it comes to later. So, so what the angel is saying is that this is going to be for all people. And yes, I think we have to take this as a whole. We have to view Scripture holistically and say, uh, yes, ultimately it's going to be rolled out for all peoples. Uh, it's spelled out in Matthew 28. We see that in the, the Great Commission, right? Every ethne, all, all peoples, all nations. But here what we're seeing is it's, it's being rolled out to Israel. And the cool thing is that it's being rolled out regardless of lineage or class. So even the shepherds, who were the lowest of the low, were welcomed in because the gospel is the great equalizer. And this is good news for them, great news for them, causes great joy for them. This is great news for us and should cause great joy for us. Our third point is this. Great joy endures our great storms. Great joy endures our great storms. I want to look at two verses, uh, verses 12 and 20. And yes, I realize that I've gone outside of my scope of verses. I will ask for forgiveness. Uh, Verse 12 says this, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then there's this interlude here. They, they go and they see the baby. And then we uh, see in verse 20, it says this, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the, the shepherds got the greatest news of, of all time, the greatest news of their entire lives, and likely their hearts were radically transformed through this interchange. However, notice that their current situation wasn't changed. After seeing baby Jesus, it says they kind of went back to their life. They went back to their field. They went back to their sheep. 
they would still be looked down on by others. They would still not be able to participate in the religious duties at the temple. They would still be viewed as untrustworthy, which, by the way, don't you find that interesting? That the God of all creation, he sends his son down through the incarnation, and the first people that he chooses to reveal this to are people that everyone else looks down on thinks they're not trustworthy. Isn't that weird? So they were still going back to this life where they're going to wrestle with the urge to hide from others to escape the shame that they might feel. The storms of their life are still going to come crashing into their shores, but they've been given a joy that's going to weather those storms. Because the storms of our life cannot take the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we do not have to yield to despair when those storms come. I'll tell you where I've seen this beautifully illustrated, and it's been on mission trips, particularly in third world countries. If you've been on a mission trip uh, in a third world country, you might have seen this, right? You go and the people are poorer than poor. They're living in shacks or mud huts. Their, their clothes are just rags. We, w- we wouldn't even use them as rags. We would have tossed them out long ago. Um, their, their last 27 meals have been beans and rice. And, and yet, we've noticed something about them. And I think it's something that haunts us just a little bit. You might even have come home and said something like this. Even though they had almost nothing, they were so filled with joy. Isn't that strange? Many of these people are living on less than a dollar a day, yet they have joy that's full. And I think that this scares us as Americans Because I think that deep down, we know that our joy is tied to our stuff. So why are they so filled with joy? Why are people in third world countries who have received this gospel news, this great news, this great joy, why do they have this? It's because their circumstances don't dictate their joy, and their joy isn't tied to stuff. I want to say that again. Their circumstances do not dictate their joy, and their joy is not tied to stuff. So what do we do with this? <laughs> In a moment, we're going to respond by singing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And in the song, there's this refrain where it says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. See, Israel was looking forward to the consolation. They were looking forward to this incarnation. We look back on the incarnation. But in a lot of ways, we're looking forward to something else. We're looking forward to consolation of our own hearts and of our own souls. We're looking forward to that moment. We're going to be rescued from the presence of sin. But we have a reason to rejoice until that time because our great joy is secure in Jesus And we have to cultivate this eternal perspective uh, in our hearts. As we walk through the shadowlands filled with doubt, filled with fear, we have to set our hearts and our minds on Christ who is above all and understand that our joy cannot be filled up with the stuff of this world. It's got to be filled up in him. Great joy endures our great storms. Your stuff doesn't do that. I want to close with this. We can make Christmas about all the fluff We can make it about the package deal that the world is selling. We can make it about the presents, about the lights, about the parties, about food, about Santa, about time off work, whatever you want to make it about. 
but your Christmas celebration is not going to be built on this great joy that this angel was proclaiming to these shepherds. It will have no impact on the fears that you feel deep down. It's not going to have any impact on the eternal security of those around you. And it's not going to alleviate the storms that are washing up on our shores. And the question is, is do you have hope in Jesus or do you have hope in stuff and circumstance? Because if we have this hope, then we should have faith that he can accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. And if we have the faith that he's going to do that, are we filled with the joy that comes from believing that he actually will do that? No, your life is not going to be necessarily easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But here's what we need to know and understand. For every one of us who has repented and believed this gospel message and who follows Jesus, we have a life face-to-face with him that awaits us, that will never end, where we will never lack anything. We will never suffer illness. We will not be racked and plagued by our sin. We'll get to experience him unhindered by this stuff that is our flesh. And for the Christ follower in this room, hear me. Here, this earth, this is as close to hell as you ever get. There's a day coming when we will die and we will be glorified with him in heaven. And all the struggles, all the pains, all the hurts, all the sensitive spots, it's going to be ancient history. See, this is what we need to be celebrating. And I think our response time as we sing is to think about those things that weigh you down. Think about those things that are, they, they hurt to touch. And we don't want to go there. I want us to go there for a moment. And I want us to offer that up to the Lord and say, even in spite of that, I'm going to cling on to this great joy of this hope. And I want you to think about the fact that the Lord is drawing you closer and closer to that consolation. He's preparing you for a place where these things are no longer going to weigh you down, and he's going to make all things right. And so as we sing, I want us to rejoice in that. Let me pray.